We've been talking about the future things over the last five weeks. We've, we've opened up God's word and we see that God has this incredible plan for those of us that love him and those of us who reject him. We saw clearly last week that it's not a place that you want to end up. And praise God that we saw over 100 decisions for Jesus Christ last week in our services. And we're grateful for that today and we celebrate that. The reality is this, what's our response in knowing these things? That, that we are here on earth and Jesus is coming again. What's, what's the response that, so as I was thinking through this series and you were too, what do I do with this? Now what? What, what should I do knowing that Christ could rapture the church at any time? How should that change the way we live? How should that change the way you got up this morning? You leave this afternoon. Should it even do anything to you? Should it cause you to rethink your plans for your life? Should it say, Lord, I need to think about maybe going in this direction or that direction because time is short, hell is real, and Jesus is coming again. What is our response to that? There should be a sense of urgency amongst us, making sure that we share with as many people as we know about this incredible gospel story that Jesus came and we're messed up and, and we need someone to fix us and he came and he was the perfect redeemer for us. We need to do something about that. Knowing that, that that, that is a piece. There's this other piece that says we have this enemy and we've looked at him throughout this series of messages. And today we're going to take a real close look and we're going to say, who is this enemy and what is he able to do? And why is it so difficult to share the good news of Christ? It's because we're opposed. Why is it so hard when I begin to plan maybe to go into full-time ministry that's so hard and we don't have time and all these breakdowns happen in our home because you're under attack. The enemy doesn't want you to go and share the good news. Why is it hard that I can talk about politics and I can talk about sports and I can talk about the snow outside and I can talk about anything under the sun with people People, but when it comes to talking about Jesus with someone, why is it so difficult? Because you're opposed by an enemy and the enemy doesn't want you to talk and he feeds you these lies. And so today we're going to take a close look because if we're about to go into a battle, if we're about to, to go against an opponent, we must know how they operate so that we can have a game plan so that we can win the match. We can win the game. We can win, win the battle that's in front of us. So we need to know who this enemy is. And so today we're going to take a close look at this enemy called Satan and we're going to see how he works we're going to see why he works, when he works, and how he functions. And then we're going to say, now that we know this, how can we now take the gospel to people who don't know it? So grab your Bibles, grab your ink pens, grab your pencils. If you don't have a Bible, hold your hand up. I'll say it again. Use your own Bible. Don't share with your wife. Don't share with your husband. Have your own that you can mark up. If you don't own one, take it home. Open up your mobile devices to the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to take a look as we understand a description of Satan and his journey. Ezekiel chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 13 to 19. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. If you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift from Grace Community. But when you find Ezekiel chapter 28, stand with me. We're going to read it out loud together. Ezekiel 28, verses 13 to 19. A description of Satan's journey and his future. Let's read it together out loud. Ezekiel 28, 13 through 19. Ready, read. You were in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, ox, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. I don't know what any of those mostly are, but they're, they're really something. That's all I can tell you. Read on. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. And you what? So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and you will be no more. You may have a seat. A description of Satan. Isaiah chapter 14 gives another picture of Satan and his I wills. I will do these things. But the reality is this, that you and I need to get familiar with this enemy. If we are to take the gospel, if we are to share with people who don't know Jesus, we have to be, get familiar. We are on a mission and the enemy is on a mission. And so these two missions collide against each other. And his mission is simple. It's, 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 it's this, to kill, steal, and destroy. Since the moment he was tossed from heaven, that has been his mission. And so every single day of his life, he's on this mission. We also know his destination. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 10, we see that he will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist, has been thrown in those who don't know Jesus. So he's read the book. He knows his destination, but he's on this mission. When you woke up this morning, Satan was on this mission. He and his demons on this mission to steal, kill, and destroy you and those who don't know Jesus. That's his mission every single day that he gets up. So it's critical for us. It's critical for us to understand who he is. It's also wise of us to step away and recognize that we give him too much credit sometimes for our own sinful, selfish choices. I hear people say all the time, the devil made me do it. Keep in mind that the devil can only be in one place at one time. So if he made you do it and someone else is saying he made you do it, the reality is he can't be in both places at the same time. We often excuse our own sinful, selfish, fleshly decisions and and say the enemy made me do it when we are by nature have an old sin nature. So we must know who he is. Let's, let's break it down. I encourage you to underline these places, to mark in your mobile devices so you have an understanding of your enemy. If you have an opponent, you want to defeat them. So you need to study them. By the way, he has been studying you since you've been born. And if you're not studying your opponent, he has an upper hand on you. Think about this. Here are some things about our enemy, Satan. Satan is limited. He cannot be in more than one place at a time. And so the question you have to ask, how do you know that and why? How do you know that and why? Why is he limited and how do you know that? 
Well, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. This is a very, very important passage. This is one that you should have underlined or highlighted in your mobile device. This is important for us who call ourselves Christ followers. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Look what it says. For in him, this is the son, we'll go verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. They're given reference to Jesus. Then it says this. For in him, Jesus, all things were what? How much was created? How many things? All things were created. Everything that was created. That leaves nothing else besides God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In him, all things were created. Things in what? What does it say? And on what? Come on, help me out. Come on, you got your Bibles? Help me out. Jump in with me. For in him, all things create, things in heaven and on earth, visible and what? Whether thrones or powers or rulers or what? How many things have been created? All things have been created through him and what? Nehemiah 9, 6 says the same thing. Ezekiel 28. So that's a very foundational truth. Think about this. Everything else in all of creation, everything, all things, whether it's in heaven, on earth, powers, authorities, principles, everything has been created by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if it's been created, then you're limited by the creator. The designer makes it the design. And so only he is able to know all things, be all things, and be anywhere. A created being has a fixed time, has a fixed place. So he can't be everywhere at once. Another thing we know about the enemy, Satan is most active where the most forward progress is taking place. In other words, when you heat up in your walk for Jesus, he turns up the temperature. The Bible says this, that he's roaming the earth. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is a very important passage. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what the enemy is doing at this very moment. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Look what it says here. 1 Peter 5 eight says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. Think about this for a second. Where there is a forward moving of Christ, where there are people, churches, movements of people, individuals, families, ministries that are making forward progress, the enemy is prowling around seeking whom he may devour. He has demons that report back to him, say, there's this movement of God in, in, in Brazil. There's this movement of God in Cambodia. There's this movement of God in the Dominican Republic. There's this movement of God in Goshen. And so what he does, he prowls around. And if we start moving, he starts coming after us. Why would he attack someone that's not advancing the kingdom of Jesus? Another thing we know, demons report back to Satan what is happening and do the majority of the havoc in our lives. Satan has many, many 
worshipers. Revelation 12 and verse 4 says, When Satan was tossed from heaven, a third of the starry hosts, a third, as we understand, the, 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 the demons today, the, the evil angels were tossed with him. Just pull away and just do a little map. That means two-thirds are still with Jesus as ministering spirits doing work for him too. But one-third was tossed from heaven. And so there are thousands and thousands and thousands of cohorts, demons that work with him and follow him. Satan cannot read your mind because he is a created being. Remember what I said? Let me give you an example right now where you're seated. Just look to the person to your left and just say hi to him. Turn your left or your right and say hello. How are you doing? Now just look straight ahead. You saw them. Now I want you to tell me what they're thinking. You don't know. Why? Because you're a cre- you might think you know, but you don't know. They're a created being. Created beings can't look left and right and tell me what someone else is thinking. It's impossible for a created being. Satan is a created, it tells us, cherub, as we understand. And he runs the demonic demons that we understand. He's created. So he doesn't know what you think. Now, he is a keen observer from the beginning. He can see you when you shrug your shoulders. He can see when you're upset. He can watch and see patterns, but he does not know what you think. Why? Because he's a created being. The Bible says that he's crafty, clever, a deceiver, and he's good at what he does. Satan, will he be able to repent? I've asked you this a few weeks ago, and I asked you, do you remember where you would go? How do you know? How do you answer? Can Satan repent? Can Satan say, look, look and say, hey, well, I see how this is going to end up. I don't like how it's going to end up. I don't like burning sulfur. I don't like lakes of fire. I don't, I don't really like the beast. I don't like the false prophet. I repent, Jesus, I repent. I, I know that you are the, 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 the anointed God. You rule. I, I, I now see what I did in heaven. My pride and arrogance got in the way. I don't want my life to end up in the lake of fire. Can he repent? And so I asked you a few weeks ago, how, what would you say? How would you respond? Where, I asked you again, where would you go? And the Bible gives us clear. You would go back to the word of God. And you would turn to Revelation chapter 20. And you would say, his destination is to be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. And why, why is that important? Here's why. Because you can't change the word of God. It is written. His destination. And how else? Do you realize this? That some angels, as human beings are, are the elect, have been chosen, have been adopted to be his own? Did you realize there's some angels that have been elected and some that haven't? Let me show you. First Timothy chapter five. It's a passage that you should have underlined in your Bible. It's important to know that even God himself has elected some of his angels to be ministering spirits and some that aren't. He was talking to Timothy. Paul said this in first Timothy chapter five in verse 21. He says this, I charge you in the sight of who? And Christ Jesus and the what angels? Elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Why is that important? Because some have been the elect angels. Satan hasn't been an elect angel or he wouldn't be operating in sin like he is. He's not one of the elect angels. So his destination 
has been determined from the foundation of the world. Satan will not be able to repent. Here's another one that's important. We must remember this. Satan rules this world and this age and this culture. He does. He rules the earth. This is his world. This is his culture. This is his age. How do you know that, Pastor Jim? Well, turn to Luke chapter 4. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4. It's important to know that this is his culture, that this is his world, that, that, that this is his kingdom here on earth. Look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, in verse 1 says, left Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4 and verse 2 says, where for 40 days he was tempted by the what? What's it say? devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And then it says this in verse 5, very important. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the what of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their what? And splendor. It has been given to who? Okay, this pause. This is important before we flesh this out. Satan is looking at Jesus. He says, I will give you something that's been given to me. What? What's been given to him? The kingdom of earth. The age that we understand that we're living in. The Greek word eon. And then he says this, and I can give it to what? What's the word? Anyone I what? If you worship me, it will be all yours. Satan rules the earth. So he was with Jesus. Now just pause and just simply think about this for a second. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit reign. Jesus was walking on earth. I've often wondered in this encounter, was this the the bodily form as we understand Satan himself? Was he there in the spirit form standing with Jesus side by side? Because he has to be in one fixed place at one time. Or was it as we understand that he tempts us from a distance, from afar, So did he speak and tempt Jesus like we're tempted? Or was the physical manifestation of Satan himself with Jesus? Imagine for a second that moment. We often don't. But imagine how dark, how evil that place was. Jesus was weak. He was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days. And then Satan shows up. With all, um, there was no doubt that he was in full force with his demons. Can you imagine if you open up the heavenlies right then, how dark and how dreary and how hopeless it could have felt in that moment? God's son standing there, Jesus, and Satan somehow saying, hey, if you just do this, I'll give you all of this. But our Savior overcame by the word of God. You know, we think that somehow when we're tempted, like, man, I don't have a way out. Think about 
the physical manifestation of the devil himself standing beside you with all the demonic forces of, of, of evil fighting in the heavenlies. Imagine the degree of that temptation and the power of darkness and our Savior overcame. Think about that for a second. Satan rules the earth. So we are working against. Every day when you and I get up, it's this world that we live in. Why is it so hard? Because Satan rules this earth that we're on. That's why it's so difficult. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age. It's the Greek word eon, means earth. The God of this earth, the God of this age, blinds the eyes of unbelievers. And Paul says, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, which is the glory of God himself. So he puts blinders on them, on this earth. What are his primary objectives in our lives? How does he defeat us? Here's how he does it. He causes us to doubt the word of God. And he says things like this. Does the Bible really say that? How come there's so many versions? Like if all the versions were similar, how come this version says that and that version says this? How come the King James says that? And how come the NIV says that? And how come there'd be so many versions? Can you really trust a Bible that's tells us in Peter that the Bible was carried along with the Holy Spirit, where men were in a room carried by the Holy Spirit. Did men really write this Bible? Like, is this not just another book that someone had a dream? Hey, let's write this thing called the Bible. He challenges the word of God and tries to doubt. Isn't that what he did? He tries to doubt God. Isn't that what he did with Eve? Eve, like why in the world, he said to her, Look at all these trees. Why would God withhold that one tree from you? If he really loved you, he would let you eat from any of the trees. He's just afraid that if you eat from that tree, you will be like him. And he does the same thing. He causes and wants us to doubt God and his goodness. He wants us to think, if a, is that really a loving, would a loving God really create hell? Is it no wonder why we battle in a work? Is it no wonder that we have people who call themselves Christ followers who don't believe in hell? Because the enemy is constantly trying to cause us to doubt God's word. He constantly challenges God's character. What else does he do? What are his primary objectives? To tempt us to not trust in the Lord. What else does he do? He daily accuses us before God himself in heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 12. Just look at this picture. Here's what Satan's primary role is. This is what he does. This is what he's good at. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Look what he does. John, Alan of Patmos, looking at future things, says this in verse 10, 12, 10. He says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the what? What's the word? Accuser of our brothers and sisters. That's Satan. Who accuses them before our God day and what? That's what he does. 
He goes before God and he says this. Hey, there's Jim. There he is again. (laughs) He's a preacher at Grace Community. Can you believe he thought that thought? Can you believe he did that? Can you believe he did that again? Like, how can he be a minister of God's word when he sins? And so day and night, he goes before and he accuses us. But Jesus himself says, (laughs) listen, Satan, he's covered by the blood of the lamb. I took his sins to the cross and the righteousness of Jesus sits all over him. Be gone, Satan, be gone. His primary role is to accuse. What else does he do? He likes to tell us that we should be further along in our walks and wants to bring discouragement to us. Doesn't he? How many times have you thought, you see someone like, man, I've been a Christian and I've known God and I've been going to church for 25 years. That person just came to Christ and they're already leading a Bible study. How come I can't? Why am I just one who sits here on Sunday and how come I, I feel like I'm, I'm afraid to, t- to, to jump in because I don't know enough. And so he tries to daily discourage us, telling us that we don't have the ability to do something. Like that's his primary. Like you should be further along by now. There's no way any way any church could use you. There's no way that you could be a vital piece to the kingdom. And so he tries to discourage us. Let me tell you something. Our primary weapon against that is the shield of faith. The shield of faith in Ephesians chapter 6. A shield extinguishes the arrows of discouragement. And so when they come, a shield a Roman soldier would hold would block the incoming arrow. And so you would get dressed and you would hold a shield. A shield also, you know what it does? A shield is used to shove back an enemy. You push him back. And how do you do that? It's the shield of faith. It's, it's the shield of faith distinguishes doubt and worry. It says, I believe even though I can't see, God, that you will provide for us and you've called us to this mission field and you will provide. I Block this discouragement that wants to come on me because I've only got this much support. I block it and I believe. It extinguishes the arrows that want to come. Think about it. How do I know that? Do you ever block an arrow with your head? No. Do you block an arrow with your foot? No. Do you block an arrow with your chest? Come on, go ahead. No, you block with the shield. And the shield of faith is our faith that never wavers, even though it looks like we're outnumbered. Even though the doctor gave us a report that we don't like, we stand in faith and believe that with God, all things are possible. We can overcome. And the beauty in that is when we're in community, we all hold our shields side to side, elbow to elbow, back to back. We have people covering our back, the flank. And when we stand with our shields, we can extinguish discouragement. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Think about it. How many of you this morning knew that there was snow outside? And you were excited about it. I was excited about it. I have four-wheel drive. It's going to be fun. I like snow. If it's cold out in the winter, it might as well snow. I think it's a waste of winter if it's green grass and it's cold. I just I think it's a waste. My philosophy, remember, snow is not sin, okay? Deal with it. But truly think about this for a second. How many of you got up this morning 
and saw the weather. Hmm, I should probably wear boots or put boots on our kids. I should probably get a warmer coat. I should probably maybe have a hat and gloves on. I should be prepared to dress because the weather is cold. The weather outside is frightful. So you got dressed for it. You got prepared. But let me ask you a question. How many of you got dressed spiritually today for the battle that you're in? How many of you got up and said, I'm in a battle today. I need to put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the preparation of peace. How many of you got dressed for a battle today? Like you were more concerned about the physical cold than you were being prepared for the attacks of the enemy. Do you see how sometimes we can get so earthly minded that we're not heavenly minded? Let me tell you something. You might not get cold today. Your feet might be warm. Your ears might be warm and your fingers might be warm and you could walk outside and say, oh, I'm prepared. And you could get destroyed by the enemy because you weren't dressed for the battle. And he knows when you're not dressed. So just answer that question. Don't worry. How many, how, many, how, many how many of you have your armor on right now? How many, like every single day, the Bible says in Ephesians, put it on, put it on. It doesn't say someone puts it on for you. No one else can pray it on you. You must put it on yourself. And if you don't, then you will be discouraged. If you don't, you won't have a shield. If you don't, discouragement will eat you up. What else does he do? He elevates our sin and inconsistency to others, which causes disappointment. Doesn't he? I mean, how many times have you seen that? And sometimes Christians are the worst at it. Like we see someone get arrested, please, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Quit posting on social media when you see someone getting arrested. That's your brother. That's your sister. Quit posting these mug shots of people that are arrested. Especially if it's a brother or sister. Pray for them. Instead of accusing them. Why do we always want to bring to light others? Why is it when a pastor or a prominent leader falls all over the internet? There it is. Listen, they're your brother. They're your sister. Come alongside them and bring them back to repentance. Listen, it's like standing in, in a battle zone. It's like standing in the trench and the enemy is there and you turn and shoot each other. It's crazy. But he likes to do that. He likes to pit us against and say, hey, can you believe they did that? And then we say, oh yeah, I knew. I didn't, there's no way. He was too good to be true. She was too good to be true. I told you. Don't follow them. And so he churns up this mess. Listen, let's support each other. Let's hold each other up. Let's say, you're my brother. You're my sister. I'm going to lead you to Christ. And I'm going to extend grace and forgiveness. And together, we're going to see the day when you shine from the ashes. That's what a teammate does. What else does he do? He causes us to lose our vitality and fire and credibility for Jesus. Because he wants to render us ineffective and ineffective for the Lord. 
one of his primary things, causes division in our hearts towards other believers. When the word of God in John says, they will know we are Christians by our what? Love for one another. Oh, not our division for one another, not our gossip for one another, not our slander for one another, not our accusing for one another. Listen, just, just purely from a pragmatic standpoint, if you got a brother and you got a sister and they know Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity with them. So get used to it. You're not going to be able to get up in heaven and say, I'm not, I'm not talking to them in heaven. They did this to me. They did that. Can you believe they did that? I, I'm not going to spend time in heaven. Let me hear, tell you something. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if their mansion is right next to yours. Because our God is a God of grace and forgiveness. What does Satan like to do? He likes to enter the seed of doubt concerning our salvation, doesn't he? Like, you probably lost your salvation. Like, you're a saved person. I can't believe you're doing that. Can't believe you sinned. Can't believe that sin appeared. Can't believe, here's the reality. Satan wants you to think more about your sin than your savior. We're constantly looking at our sin instead of who we are in Christ. And greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. And the power and authority in Christ rests on me. And I'm gifted and I have skills and abilities. And I'm a dangerous warrior for Jesus because he works through me. Instead of, man, again, I can't believe I did that. And he's going to expose and he wants to come after you and say, look, there you are again. You know what we do when we sin? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Move on. Don't dwell in the past. He causes us to feel inferior and inadequate. He's pretty good at that one, isn't he? How come I've been on this assembly line and all I can do is do this? And How come they've been here six months and they bumped over me? I'll never amount to anything. All I have is this eighth grade education. I don't know how to do that. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at art. I'm not good at music. I can't work with cars. I can't fix a thing in my house. How am I supposed to be the husband of my home? I don't know how to cook. I'm afraid to be a mom. I might not be able to be a mom. I might not ever get married. No one will love me. You see, all these thoughts that the enemy wants to bring, he wants us to think that we're inadequate. And when we know this, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are justified. We are sanctified. We got purpose. We got destiny. We got a future in heaven. See, that's what we need to speak to ourselves. You'll never amount to anything. You've been divorced. God doesn't really love divorced people, does he? Oh, yes, he does. Don't let him speak truth back, the word of God. What else does he like to do? He likes to pit us against each other through gossip and bitterness and divisiveness. And here's how it goes. It starts like this. We secretly wish and long for a brother or sister's failure. I tell you what, that just burns me up when I see that. I can't wait till justice comes to them. I can't wait till I see them fall. 
Instead of saying, oh, Lord God, help them to see the sin in their way. Oh, Lord God, bring them to a place of repentance. Oh, Lord God, bring them back on their feet again. May they finish the race in a strong way for you because the world needs Jesus Christ. And may you use their story, their redemption, their forgiveness, their grace to win the world to Jesus. See, that's what we need to pray. He wants to convince us that we earn and must keep our salvation. Doesn't he? <laughs> he backloads the gospel. So we trust in Jesus Christ and we send like, oh boy, I got to keep working at it to keep it. I got to work at it to gain it. And we're so focused on earning a salvation that's already been given to us that can never be taken from us. And we're so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of a world that has, doesn't have what we have, Jesus. See, we get too busy trying to keep something that is already ours instead of sharing it with someone who doesn't have what we have. There are no rules with Satan. <laughs> Literally, you go against him, anything goes. You've heard that before. Satan doesn't fight fair. He's not going to give you a break. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a diabolical angel of light who comes to you in a thousand guises, tempting you to disobey the Lord. And hear me out. He's a lot smarter than you are when you rely on your own intelligence. But listen, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When we walk in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit in us, there is no one smarter than us. He knows your weak points better than you do. He can attack you at any time of the day or night. And he is a keen observer of his opponent. We need to do the same. Think about it from a coach perspective. If you're going against an opponent, you need to understand the opponent's weaknesses. So from a basketball analogy, if you're a coach, you watch film of a game and you begin to see the propensity of a guard or a forward. He goes right most of the time because his left hand is weak. He, he shoots threes, but he shoots threes better when he's in a setting position. He doesn't shoot well off the move. He's not a dribble penetrator scorer. He has to score off a screen and be set. So you break down the screens. You push him to his left side. You force him to go towards his weakness. And that's what Satan does with you every day. He pushes you this way. If I can get her in that room with him, if I can get him to see this fault of her, and so he's constantly playing defense and offense to push you into your weakness. Now listen, we should be doing the same thing and standing and being prepared for this battle and this opponent so that we win through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's got schemes. Get familiar with the way he attacks Know when and where. First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert, be sober mind. Constantly thinking. Don't be too earthly minded that you lose focus of this battle in the spiritual realm. And so that's what he's good at. He's the angel of light. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10 says. 
But John, 1 John 3, 8 says that the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. By the way, he hasn't lost any steam. If anything, he's better at what he's doing. Stop and consider that for a second. Just pragmatically think about this. He has been learning how to hone his skill for thousands of years since he's been tossed from heaven. Some people ask, how come it seems to be getting worse in our world? Well, he, he's the ruler of this world, but he's also been observing human beings and their traits for many, 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 many years. Stop and consider how good you would get at fulfilling a job description of kill, steal, and destroy if you had been on that assembly line doing the same thing for 2,000 plus years. Wouldn't you get good at it? Like if that's the only thing you've ever done, steal, kill, and destroy people. You would get pretty good after 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years. And so he's a seasoned veteran. And some of us are just getting started. Some of you just got started last week. You got saved last week. Listen to me. The very first thing you need to do every single morning, get dressed for the battle, put on the armor of God. So that you can defend and fight off and extinguish the arrows of the enemy. So every day, he's doing that. Some of us just got started. So most people live 70 years and then a new baby is born completely unfamiliar with the enemy's tactics, unless, 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 as parents, we teach our children when they're young. We teach them. Deuteronomy says, teach them as you go along the way. My wife and I have been talking about spiritual warfare with our kids since they've been two. Why? Because we want them to be seasoned soldiers against their opponent. You know how kids pray? all the time. These prayers, why do they pray these prayers? Because you have been teaching them prayers. So teach them prayers that protect them, provide for them, and set them up to win. All of us have them. I mean, as a kid, I can remember praying, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. There's such great theology in that. My parents taught me that. Children, all our kids, we, we encourage them. We would pray over them. Lord, I pray that they become a Christian at a young age. They heard it. We read the word of God to them. We planted the words of truth in their hearts. Why? So that they would know it. So that they'd be familiar with it. So that when they got saved one day, the Holy Spirit would illuminate these seeds that have been planted in their hearts. So when they're young kids, they're prepared. So when they're young kids, they put on the armor every day. So when they're young kids, they can fight against the enemy who is seasoned. I want our kids and our kids at Grace Community to be seasoned. Seasoned soldiers. And our kids would pray. You know how you are. I mean, you're two years old. You pray the prayer that, and you love them. Like, that's so cute. What are they praying? What are your kids praying? What are you teaching them to pray in repetition before they fully understand it? You've heard it. Some have heard it, haven't. We would pray for Isaiah and Hannah and Josh and Isaiah specifically because he's the last. Remember, he began praying for his own salvation from the time he was two. Dear God, I pray that I become a Christian at an early age. I mean, this little kid, boy, all he knew was a good thing because mom and dad said, pray that prayer. 
So he would pray, dear God, I pray I become a Christian. He'd pray for Josh and Hannah and mom and dad. And at the end of each prayer, he'd pray, and dear God, I pray I become a Christian at an early age. He prayed that for two years. He prayed for his own self. Can you imagine God looking down and thinking, holy cow, that kid is getting saved. And the moment he did when he was four, when he trusted in Jesus Christ that night in bed, he's praying. Pray for Josh, pray for Hannah, pray for mom, pray for dad. Dear God, I pray I become a... And he went, Dad, I don't need to pray that anymore. Because I trusted in Christ. How are you preparing your kids? Do they know more about basketball than they do Jesus? Do they know more about, about, about school stuff than they do Jesus? Do they know more about math and science than they do Jesus? Prepare them. Because there is a seasoned soldier, listen to me, and he wants the soul of your babies. Don't let him take it. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. See, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, so they can't see the light of the gospel. Our job is to remove the blinders from those who are stumbling around. That's our, that's our job. Let's go to someone who doesn't know Christ. God is age is blinded and say, hey, let me do a little LASIK surgery. I'm going to send you to Mark Pickett and you're going to get some direction here and some surgery. And you're going to see again. We want to take the blinders off. We want to give them glasses and lenses so they can see the light of the gospel and say, woo, haven't seen that before. And then to see them trust in Christ so that they can prepare themselves for the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Jude chapter 1 and verse 22, we saw two weeks ago, says, be merciful to those that doubt, save others by snatching them from the fire. Jesus' final words to his disciples. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Here it is, here it is. Here's how we can get, here's, here's our now what. What should we do now that we know this? Now that we're saved, what should we do? Here it is. Here's what we should do. This is Jesus' great commission. This is his commandment for you and me. Jesus was ready to leave. And this were his final words. And even in Acts 1.8, he says basically the same thing. The 11 disciples were with him. And Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And you can't be a disciple until you've been saved. So you have to be saved first. And then you build on that foundation of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Paul's just a little theology lesson here. The reason why we baptize three times here at Grace Community. Maybe you've been from a a practice, a church that has it. The reason that we do, we believe that best shows the three in one. Baptize them, look, look how it says, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's why we do it three times. And then it says this, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So you teach them. You show them the word of God. You you start with your children. You say, this is what God's word is. This is what you should believe. This is why you should believe it. And then it says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Our mission is to snatch people from the fire. We are God's last hope to reach the world for Jesus. Old Testament, kings, prophets, priests, 
They kept talking about this Messiah to come, and they had all these sacrifices and all these altars, thinking there's coming a day when we don't have to cover up our sin. There's coming a day when someone will die for our sin. And so the Old Testament priests, prophets, and kings, they pointed towards, finally, Jesus came. He's here. Jesus went around and said, I'm the answer. Didn't he say? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And so for 30 years, he was on earth. And for about three years of that ministry, he was saying, I'm the way, I'm the way, I'm the way, I'm the way. Jesus then died for us, was resurrected, went to heaven. And then what was left? The disciples. If the 11 disciples didn't do their job, then we probably wouldn't be saved today. Those 11 disciples are going, guess who's left? We are. We're the last hope to tell the world about Jesus. If we don't do it, no one can. That should motivate us. If we don't, then who will? And then he says, listen, you're not going alone. And surely I will be with you. Because he has all authority that we can dare go. So we should know who we're trying to reach. Who are we trying to reach? We know our enemy. What's our target audience? What are they like? Are they young? Are they old? What, what are their interests? How can we reach them? So who is this community? In light of now what? That Jesus is coming again. In light of our mission statement is to, to go and share the gospel. Then we need to know who we're going after. Here is who we're going after. This is Elkhart County. Did you realize in Elkhart County, there are 203,000 people in Elkhart County. Did you know that Elkhart County is the seventh fastest growing county in Indiana? Seventh fastest growing county in Indiana. Did you know that the majority of growth hasn't come from people moving into Elkhart County? It's come from newborns that have been born. Like, we like the water in Indiana. Did you know that 35% of our population in Elkhart County is 18 and under? We're young. Did you know that 14, only 14% of Elkhart County residents are 65 and older? That means that 50% is between the age of 19 and 64. 85% of people in Elkhart County are under the age of 65. That's why I love when I see our youth and our children coming up and singing and being taught. Pastor Tannen's doing a phenomenal job. I praise God for Sharon Carantine and many other children's workers. When I see that, I say, we're reaching our target audience for Jesus. Did you know that means this, that, that there's, there was a report done and a census done that 76% of people in Elkhart County alone do not regularly attend or call a church their home. 76% of people, three out of four people every Sunday in Elkhart County won't go to church. That should bother us. It should really bother us. That means potentially that 150,000 people are going to hell that we work with, that we live with, that we eat with, that we play with, that we know by name and went to school with. We need to do something about that. That's the now what? We must do something. If we don't, then who will? Nobody. Paul 
Paul even said it this way in Romans 9.3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people and those. He said, I wish if it were possible, just curse me so that my, my family, my community could find Jesus. Romans 10, Paul said this in verses 13 to 15, that how will they know unless a messenger is sent and how will they know unless a message is given? So we need to do something, and we're going to. And you're, are the, you are the people, I am the person. It's our job description. See, here's the problem. Some of us haven't punched in for work for a very long time. Some of us haven't taken our job description. We let other people work for us. Can you imagine being employed where you're employed at and say, you know what, I'm just going to punch in on Monday this week and do my job. Or I'm going to wait every three months to come in. But I want the full gamut of pay. Are you kidding me? When's the last time you shared the gospel of Christ with anybody? We're not doing our job. And if we truly have a sense of urgency and we truly know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and the Spirit lives, listen, church, we are punching in every single morning. So we're going to do that next week. Next week will be a gospel Christmas message. And we will share clearly the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you, remind you, that we must be the ones that tell them that he loves them. We must be the ones that tell them the truth. We must be the ones that tell them that he came to save us. We must tell them that he is the best thing that has ever happened to us. Amen? We must be the ones. So we're going to do that. As the bands come out right now, I want you to do something. I'm going to give you a very practical way. I'm not letting you go until you, you punch in. I want you to take a few moments as, as this song is sang as a special in both venues. I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Spirit, Spirit, who is it that you want me to invite next Sunday? I will give up my seat. I will go to a different service. I will do away with my routine of meeting after the 8 o'clock or 9.45 service for lunch. I will do whatever it takes to reach someone. Now, Spirit, who is it that you want me to invite? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Who is it, Jesus? Is it someone across the street? Is it someone? There's 76% of people won't be in church next Sunday. And I say, listen, let's invite them. So I want you to do something. I want you to pray while this song is being sung. And then after you're finished praying, I want you to take out your phone. We're going to make it very practical. I want you to text somebody. I want you to email someone. I want you to call someone up and say, listen, today I'm seated in church and I love you and God brought you to mine and I would love for you to join me next Sunday at Grace Community Church. So I want you to do that. Now listen, don't just sit there. This is where you check out. You just punched in. Pray, respond, and act as we listen to this song. Wouldn't it be incredible if someone that you've been praying about for a long time, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a daughter or daughter-in-law or son-in-law, or maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a clerk where you get gas at every day and you've never once, once told them that you were a Christian. Wouldn't it be awesome if they took your seat next week? Wouldn't it be incredible if you had to stand up above so that they could hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be one. Wouldn't it be something if a Pentecost took place at Grace Community Church next week?
That's my desire. That's what I'm praying for. We're also giving you a chance. Yesterday, we had people who took the time and showed up and, and packaged these bags. And in these bags, it's a gift. And there's some popcorn and this game of Uno. And there's some red hots to make some wassail. And there's some hot chocolate. And there's some mints. And it's called Bring Christmas Home. And also in this bag is... An invitation, it says on December 18th at Grace Community Church, we want you here. Now we want you here, I'll, I'll meet you here. And on the back of this invitation is we invite you to our Christmas Eve services. In addition to that, inside this bag is the great news of Jesus Christ when he came, the Christmas story. Wouldn't it be incredible if 76% of the people, if we cut into that this coming week, and they brought Jesus home for Christmas. So we're going to ask you to do something. Maybe there's someone across the street, and maybe it's a coworker, and then you think the best way to reach them is to take this gift and say, hey, I love you. I invite you to join me next week. So in the link in each service here in the main, there's also some cards that you can give out in front of the TVs. and We ask you to come. If that's you and you want to hand this off to someone today, this week, and say, come join us. So as we leave, I'll pray. Lord, I pray that, I pray this just isn't a one and done kind of job description. I pray, God, that we would never be satisfied with status quo. That we wouldn't be so conscious of looking at our own lives that we forget there's people who need you. How will they know, Lord, unless we tell them? How will they know unless a messenger is sent? I pray, God, for a holy revival of salvation next week so that the world can be one for Jesus before the rapture occurs. In Jesus' name, amen. So I encourage you to come if you want a bag or two and make sure they're all gone. God bless you. See you next week.